Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast, a special edition focused on the National Transportation Safety Board's release today of the 2019-2020 Most Wanted list. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Hi, Fred. We've got a great guest joining us from the NTSB. Very happy to have Dr. Ensar Bechik, Project Manager in the Office of Highway Safety and a Human Performance Investigator. Thank you for joining us, Ensar. Thank you, Fred. Ensar, great having you. So to begin with, uh, Ensar, tell us a little bit uh, what you can about the most wanted list of transportation safety improvements and, and what the purpose behind it is. The most wanted list uh, is designed to indicate the most prevalent and important items that the NTSB has examined in the past period, which is now uh, in the past in the last two years. But not only the issues that have come up during that time, but uh, frequently the issues that we have been examining over a period, and some of them over the past decade, you probably would see that some of the items, some of the items have repeated over the number of uh, over the n number of iterations. Uh, some some of them have been on the list for maybe even ten years. So it's a uh, it's a list that encompasses the uh, emerging issues that have come up recently, but also those that have remained. Uh, a safety factor for a period of time. Well, let me go over the list a little bit for our listeners. Starting at the top, eliminate distractions, then end alcohol and other drug impairment, ensure the safe shipment of hazardous materials, fully implement positive train control, implement a comprehensive strategy to reduce speeding-related crashes, improve the safety of Part 135 aircraft flight operations, Increase implementation of collision avoidance systems in all new highway vehicles. Reduce fatigue-related accidents. Require medical fitness. Screen for and treat obstructive sleep apnea. And finally, strengthen occupant protection. Now, we're obviously going to focus on what you're calling for in the areas related to vehicle safety and the role technology can play here. Right at the top, uh, Ensar, eliminating distractions. So the distraction is not the uh, my area of expertise, but what I can add is that the NTSB does have a policy regarding cell phone use in vehicles that we uh, the agency does not allow cell phone conversations for either handheld or hands-free communication devices. Yeah, and one of the interesting things they, they spoke about today was emphasizing really that from their perspective, using Bluetooth to have conversations while driving really isn't a whole lot better or safer. Reducing speed-related crashes is also not the area that you personally are focused on, but you are involved with increasing implementation of collision avoidance systems in vehicles, including automatic emergency braking. And the feeling at the NTSB seems pretty clear. Safety technology should be standard equipment. Uh, absolutely. Thank you, Fred. Well, the NTSB has been looking at this for over two decades. In 1995, we made the first recommendation to the national, to NHTSA, National Highway uh, Traffic Administration, regarding um, 
asking the agency to examine the effectiveness of collision warning systems in heavy vehicles. And that was the start. Over the uh, next 20 and three years now, we have made recommendations pertaining to automatic emergency braking, examining their uh, effect efficacy in uh, both heavy and passenger vehicles. And in the uh, year 2015, uh, we made a recommendation um, to, ve to vehicle manufacturers, both passenger and heavy, uh, to install collision warning systems and automatic emergency braking as standard equipment on all new vehicles. And these recommendations that went directly to manufacturers occurred about four or five months uh, before the agreement between NHTSA, IHS, and the uh, almost all passenger vehicle manufacturers to do exactly that. Uh, so perhaps our timing was fortuitous or it was another step uh, towards the wave of, try of implementing these technologies uh, in the vehicles. So the decision at that time was we made was to go to vehicle manufacturers for more of a voluntary uh, implementation of the technology rather than go to uh, the regulator, to NHTSA. Although in the past we have made several recommendations calling for standards of these systems, and those are still needed, particularly when it comes to heavy vehicles, because collision warning and automatic emergency braking system in truck-tractor combination vehicles may need to work slightly differently for uh, compared to a passenger sedan. And uh, perhaps another item that I can make is uh, for, as an incentive for vehicle manufacturers, particularly for passenger vehicle manufacturers, is that changes uh, to NCAP really would be necessary. And the NCAP stands for the new car assessment uh, program. Car, our current NCAP consists of five stars, and they indicate only crash worthiness of a vehicle. So you can imagine that you can have two vehicles, both with five-star rating, one of which has all of the new collision avoidance technologies, and the other has none. And to a public, to a general public looking to buy a new vehicle, five-star rating would uh, indicate almost the same quality of a vehicle in terms of safety. So the changes to the NCAP that incorporate the ratings of collision avoidance systems would be necessary both as an incentive to vehicle manufacturers, but also to public, to educate the public as to what is available in a vehicle that they're purchasing. Well, I think, um, you know, if I can uh, chime in here a little bit, I, I think it's really great that uh, you're calling for uh, an extension of the NCAP uh, for the exact reason that, that you stated that, uh, my goodness, uh, a poor consumer um, uh, thinks that they're, both vehicles are the same and they're not. Um, I guess my question is, is, is maybe shouldn't we even be going far further on this because, um, you know, the, the, the collision warning with uh, automatic emergency braking um, is interpreted, I think, by the industry as, uh, okay, we'll tell you there might be a crash coming, uh, but until it's the absolute last second, we're not doing anything about it. 
and um, and it just seems, at least you know, from an outsider looking in, that that's just not good enough. And in fact, when one looks at these things, uh, one looks at automated emergency braking as um, really not focused on uh, crash avoidance. It fo- still focuses on uh, what NHTSA has been focusing on forever, uh, which is um, which is um, uh, um, uh, uh, the um, crash mitigation, um, uh, how to survive crashes as opposed to really focusing on how to avoid crashes. And and um, the uh, introduction of automated emergency braking uh, at the very last second uh, just doesn't seem to to be good enough, um, at least you know from an outsider looking in. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, you are absolutely right in that as to what the capacity of the automatic emergency braking may be. And frequently, uh, what we are seeing currently in the past couple of years, it may be limited only to mitigation. Uh, But at the same time, the automatic emergency braking systems can vary dramatically. Um, Here in the U.S., IHS has started rating some of these systems. And if you go to their website to look at their effectiveness, you will see that some of them have performed quite well, and others have not performed well at all, meaning that some of them have stopped completely, while others uh, did not reduce uh, speed at all. So there is, there is certainly a difference in how good these systems are. And the testing that IHS has done is very, uh, maybe you, you, you want to say simplistic, but it's really a first iteration. Testing that's been done around the world in Europe and Asia uh, has uh, been going on for several years, and gradually it has increased in the complexity, meaning it has increased in the speed at which the systems are tested. So while initially the testing may be done at uh, more of a city, uh, uh, city type of a setting up to 15 miles per hour, to allow systems to um, to mature, to reach that stage of, of advancement, then when they do, then the requirement becomes higher to test these systems going at faster speeds, at 30, at 45 miles per hour, with, with perhaps the same requirements of either completely preventing a crash or, or mitigating, reducing the impact speed by half or more. And the NCAPs around the world, for example, for uh, in Europe, for a vehicle to reach the top safety uh, standard, the requirements increase every single year. So, for example, this, uh, I'm more familiar with, with last year, a vehicle would have to have a pedestrian detection system and then be able to uh, meet the, uh, the testing requirements for the automatic emergency braking, which may be and I cannot recall the exact uh, speed, but to be able to stop to prevent a crash up to uh, 35, uh, I believe, or 40 miles per hour. And those requirements increase every single year. And that is what we are trying to uh, accomplish here for uh, the collision warning and automatic emergency braking first to appear on the vehicles and then to improve improve those systems to go beyond mitigation only 
to actual crash prevention? Well, I'm personally very happy to to see the NTSB coming out and and explicitly saying this, uh, because uh, in terms of uh, of the auto industry itself, and if I think back at the announcement by NHTSA and IIHS and the, and the car manufacturers, they said automated emergency braking systems, but one had no idea as to what they meant by that, and and whether or not it really meant uh, that they were going to develop the technology that would basically eliminate crashes as opposed to, as, as you've just been discussing, um, uh, mitigate crashes. And, and in some sense, this may have to go even deeper. I mean, if one looks at the Society of Automotive Engineers, I mean, they, they sort of have this, this motto that thou shalt do no harm. Uh, so that, in fact, uh, you know, that kind of makes uh, their standards and their designs uh, come out as saying, oh, my goodness, uh, we won't have any of these systems um, uh, trying to help out a driver uh, because we're not sure that the driver needs help until the very last second in which in many cases it's too late and especially if one looks at the at the larger um, vehicles and and uh, the class eights and class sixes uh my goodness uh, that's where all, uh, the uh, avoiding the crash is really important and it's nice to see the ntsb coming out and and really uh trying to move the industry that's uh, that's basically um, not wanted to take the driver, the 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 driver out of the loop because the driver's in command, uh, and uh, and uh, unfortunately, as drivers, um, uh, we sometimes um, uh, don't know the right thing to do, where the system would know the right thing to do. And so it's it's really nice to see the NTSB come out uh, and really come and tell the industry, uh, my goodness, uh, um, you really need to get these systems working uh, to avoid crashes. Uh, thank you. Uh, it, it's good to hear this. Uh, and at the same time, we are cognizant of the complexities of these systems and the uh, potential cost of false alarms. A uh, false alarm for a collision warning, you could argue, is somewhat cheap. It may lead to a little bit of annoyance of a driver, but the false alarm of automatic emergency braking can be pretty costly and result even in unintended crashes from uh, uh, from being hit by uh, uh, being hit from behind. Uh, well, absolutely, but uh, absolutely, but uh, that just that really suggests that uh, that what the uh, auto manufacturers should do uh, is really uh, they need to do a lot more work in this area. Uh, it uh, there's a more investment that needs to be done. More intelligence has to be put in there, um, and um, and one you know is going to need to do some work here. Uh, yes, uh, uh, false alarms are not good, uh, but why was there a false alarm? Uh, if the system really, uh, really worked, it wouldn't have a false alarm. You're correct, and that is why we believe that the standards really are necessary. And uh, I mentioned the testing by IHS has shown that some systems perform quite well and others not at all. Uh, just because a vehicle has an automatic emergency braking, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is good without a minimum standard that it is required to meet. What What are your thoughts, Ansar, about the need for manufacturers who are doing the work here, hopefully, uh, to share data, 
to share what they learn about the things like the automatic emergency braking systems so that, as you said, this can be standardized? Uh, sharing of data or data availability for us as crash investigators is something that we are very supportive of and that's something that on which we absolutely depend on. And if you recall a crash that occurred in Cranberry uh, involving a Walmart uh, truck and a well-known comedian, uh, the Walmart truck was equipped with a collision warning system, but the data that we obtained from the truck really did not tell us much at all. Uh, we weren't even able to conclude whether the system activated or not, simply because the, the way that the rate at which the data was recorded, we were not able to determine whether a system uh, detected and alerted the driver uh, or not. So data, uh, at, at least data in terms that it is recorded on, on, on the vehicles, is absolutely crucial and that is again something for which standardization is necessary. Just like uh, VIN numbers can vary dramatically from manufacturer to manufacturer in which, in terms of what they mean, so do the data uh, from various collision avoidance systems uh, can vary as to what manufacturer chooses to record and at which uh, rate. So, so are you are you going to issue? Um... Um, details as to <clears throat> the data that you would like to see or or what role do you see the NTSB playing uh, to try to get the industry to, to record the right data, to have a VIN number so that one knows in the VIN number uh, how what kind of automated emergency braking system was on the vehicle and, and what its its performance was. Uh, it, I mean, right now, that, that's impossible to determine, I think, I believe. Uh, you're correct. Uh, VIN number really does not tell us anything in terms of what kind of collision avoidance systems uh, the vehicle has, especially since even current VIN numbers tell us whether a vehicle is equipped with airbags, which uh, clearly is redundant. Uh, the, our investigation of Cranberry produced a couple of recommendations pertaining to data, but those recommendations really need to go to NHTSA and because NHTSA is the agency responsible for the creating standards for what kind of information should be recorded. Um, perhaps a bit more advanced, not really the topic of this podcast, but out of a Williston investigation involving the first fatal uh, crash involving vehicle operating in automated vehicle mode, uh, there, was, there were several pertaining to uh, the type of data uh, that should be recorded by these systems. And as you can imagine that the complexity is only increased from uh, from your basic collision warning and automatic emergency braking system. I mean, you know, the, the, the whole 
automated emergency braking systems business seems to be made you know more difficult than it should be most of these vehicles now have intelligent cruise control intelligent cruise control if it's initiated really sets a, a, a safety separation between you and the vehicle in front of you uh, for example why is it that it, in those systems if i tap the brakes it turns the whole thing off as opposed to just turning off the acceleration function and leaving the braking function activated because, my goodness, I guess uh, anybody who touches the brakes says maybe the throttle should be disengaged, but doesn't say, oh, my goodness, I, I'm, I'm the superior one. I know exactly what brake pressure to put on here. Uh, please uh, don't give me any more help. I mean, this is this is goofy that it, it continues on from the uh, Society of Automotive Engineer and NHTSA, and, and maybe the NTSB needs to come out there and, and make even stronger recommendations on on these entities. Uh, I, I I understand. I think I understand uh, your concern here, and uh, the uh, AACC uh, Adaptive Cruise Control. Uh, is something that we have made a number of recommendations uh, in the past, I believe, 15 years. And uh, as you know, the way that ACC is implemented by various manufacturers can vary a fair bit. And uh, But what they have really in common is that they all have a maximum braking speed uh, that allows a braking to... Uh, vehicle to brake to that maximum braking speed, let's say it might be 0.5 G, uh, while maintaining the adaptive cruise control. The reason why automatic emergency braking is uh, important is because it would operate at, uh, differently and independently, regardless of how a manufacturer chooses to implement their ACC. So. Uh, an automatic emergency braking system typically could engage up to the maximum braking capacity. Let's let's say it's one G. So if the uh, if the uh, following of a lead vehicle situation uh, exceeds the capability of the vehicle's ACC, meaning its braking capability, or perhaps that vehicle, the leading lead vehicle in a, just a typical lab scenario, uh, changes lanes and re revealing another stopped vehicle, the ACC with its limited braking capacity would no longer be able to uh, stop uh, and respond to that stopped vehicle, but uh, automatic uh, braking uh, system would. An automatic braking system would be or should be available at any time, regardless of whether a vehicle's ACC is engaged or not. Yes, that, that, that's true, but, but, the, but the automated emergency braking system disregards if the object ahead is stationary for the fear of a false alarm. And so exactly in the, in the situation that you mentioned, uh, the, the automated emergency braking system doesn't activate, else we wouldn't have had the, the Florida crash of, of Brown or the, or the Tesla crashes into the, uh, into the uh, uh, fire trucks uh, that we had last year. Uh, you know, I, I mean, the, the, the industry, uh, I mean, the industry really needs, uh, and I, I think somebody needs to tell the industry that they need to 
to, to do this better. Uh, they have not done it well up to this point, and they need to up their game. Uh but it's easy for me to say because I'm just a professor and you're you're a responsible person, so I don't expect you to say it. So I just threw that no, in. I, Sorry. I understand. I, mean, and I, I, <laughs> I understand where you're coming from, and I believe the way I see is that you're coming from a position that more uh, should be done and prob- probably can be done. And exactly. Definitely should be done, and but we believe that we are going to over that call, perhaps slower than many of us would like. And when you mentioned the uh, stationary object detection of stationary objects, that has been a problematic issue for a very, very long time. It's the, very difficult. In the early ages of it's... collision warning systems with heavy vehicles. I believe I read a paper where uh, a system would detect the overpasses, so yes. a, a bridge that passes yes. over a highway, yeah. as a hazard 90, I believe, 5% of, a time, of the time. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so the, the rate was insane. Absolutely, and, and that's why the systems have to be better. If, if that's going to be your detector, that detector is not good. Okay, find one that is. Find one, don't just be detecting that there's an object ahead or don't just be detecting whether or not you have, you have a, a, a road surface available ahead. You have to de- determine the whole tunnel, the, the whole envelope of the vehicle. Can you pass under, side, and so on? And, of course, for, for stationary objects, it's really because down the road, guess what the most objects any of these things see? Stationary. You know, trees are stationary, guardrails are stationary, uh, buildings are stationary. You know, these things are seeing stationary things all the time. So it has to be really good at figuring out if the stationary thing is going to is in my lane ahead and can I pass underneath it? I mean, that's not simple and it should be pointed out and they should work on it or whatever. But again, it's uh, easy for a I, professor to say and tougher for a person of it's in a responsible position such as yourself. I, I agree. I agree. And but I have to acknowledge that uh, there have been improvements. But yes. That varies from vehicle from a manufacturer to manufacturer. And it could be just a manufacturer of a sensor, a radar manufacturer. How good yes. is that radar at detecting, at detecting, uh, or how I should say, how good is an algorithm of determining whether a detected object is a stationary hazard in path uh, or not? And there have been improvements. Um, I know I've sort of rented a little bit on NHTSA about the standards, but they have come up with the um, well. They've had a few years now standard for collision warning system that includes a number of scenarios so and one of them would be a stationary object yes so they would have a several scenarios uh, of following a lead vehicle that either stops suddenly or slowly decelerates or, or or encountering a stopped vehicle but the the very the variety in these kind of uh, tests when determining standards is absolutely crucial for ensuring that the systems uh, that the systems are able to be effective in all types of traffic conditions, from your regular traffic jam with, every, with traffic moving slowly to sudden unexpected events such as an encountering a, a stopped vehicle on, on the road. 
Yeah, and, and you mentioned the really tough one of that, which is uh, I'm following the vehicle ahead of me and everything's hunky-dory because it's moving. I know my, my closing velocity is different than my velocity. It's easy to determine that that's a moving vehicle ahead. But when that vehicle changes lanes and all of a sudden, and the reason it changed lanes is because there's uh, who knows what stopped ahead. And then all of a sudden, this thing gets a who knows what stopped ahead. It doesn't know. It needs to be really intelligent to determine, hey, that's really something that stopped in my lane, as opposed to just an overhead um, uh, Buckman or it's or that I can pass under, or it's a traffic light that I can pass under, or it's a tree branch that I can pass under. And, and, and they have to put the work and they have to get that to work. But they, they really do need to get that to work. There's another area that uh, that's related to this, obviously, in that the equipment that is in cars being sold today, when when people do opt for it, obviously, the NTSB wants this uh, to be included w- with every vehicle, but people are are buying some of these safety technology, but they're often not taught what it can do, what it can't do, and the NTSB is concerned about that as well, right? Having having car makers and dealers teach people how to use how to use this equipment. You you are absolutely right, and that is a, uh, an area of concern uh, for passenger for systems in passenger vehicles, uh, for systems in in commercial vehicles. It is not the education of the driver is less of an area of a concern simply because the uh, fleet. Uh, uh, a fleet owner, fleet management, really uh, has every intention to make sure to get the best out of these systems, which includes appropriately training their drivers and most of the time making sure that the mm-hmm. systems have to be engaged yes. at all times and that the drivers know the limitations of the system and uh, what it can and cannot do. Um, but you are correct when it comes to the uh, new vehicles being sold at dealerships. Um, it almost seems that the current uh, system is not doing, it's not uh, working overly well, especially when buying a new vehicle. If if more time is spent discussing how many cup holders a vehicle has versus how, how well a collision warning system operates. Do, do you see, um, I've, I've argued that the, that the insurance industry should go beyond the IIHS and not just test these systems, uh, but as it gets the information as to uh, which systems perform better than others, in fact, um, uh, go and 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 uh, address the, the 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 state regulators and and say uh, we should be permitted to uh, to provide discounts. And, and encourage customers uh, to purchase um, A versus B because A is safer than B. And if, in fact, it's going to crash less, uh, the expected liability is less, and therefore we should be able to offer discounts and, and substantial discounts or maybe even pay for the darn thing if, in fact, the, the price of, of, that, of that entity is, is um, attractive. Uh, is the NTSB uh, gone that far? I mean, that's, that's a long way to go, but, or 
don't you think that 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 would be either workable or you'd rather not do that? <laughs> Any uh, of those? I have, say, I have to say that's an in, interesting angle of, of, of thinking of, of the approach. Uh, IHS does uh, look at uh, clearly uh, they have access to a lot of crash data and to the information and to what kind of uh, collision avoidance system a vehicle has and they do produce data and and I have to say that IHS does a really great job to yes they do they do comparing appropriate things that they are comparing if for example taking a vehicle manufacturer maybe such as Volvo uh, for example to make sure that they are comparing a system uh, uh, a Volvo model that has all, all the systems uh, to a very comparable Volvo without those. Yes. Uh, and that can be a, a challenge. So what they generally, uh, generally they would combine multiple um, vehicle manufacturers uh, to try to have very comparable models either with uh, or without these systems to show how effective these systems are. And those studies exist and they typically show that uh, uh, considerable reduction in crash rate. I don't know that they have gone, they have compared that to try to tease out as to uh, statistically which vehicle manufacturer system is better than the other. But maybe that is something more for the insurance companies themselves to, fi to, to figure out. One thing is you mentioned about providing deep discounts to uh, customers to have these systems. Um, we talked to them uh, in the past, and you know that they are somewhat conservative in terms of data, and they, they require more of a prolonged data to be able to show that there is really true benefit of these systems. But at the same time, uh, they even if the data shows that there is a reduction of crashes, because initially these systems may cost a lot. What data uh, recent recent numbers have shown that even if there's a reduction in crashes, it costs more to repair these systems. So from the insurance company's perspective, the bottom line may not be changed as much. Simply because they have fewer number of claims, uh, the, uh, those claims are higher than uh, before because now it's, uh, they have to replace the radar and maybe some ultrasonic sensors and anything else. Yes, and of course, uh, that's that's where they got themselves a little bit into trouble in the past because while crash mitigation uh, uh, really uh, saved lives and so on, um, uh, it didn't really uh, change uh, the number of crashes and the crashes that occurred because of the technology, as you well pointed out, <coughs> was more expensive. So, so the the cost, the expected liability to the insurance went up, and so of course uh, one can understand that their situation that these yes they're safer, uh, but it doesn't mean your rates are going to go down. I guess uh, what what it would be nice to have the NTSB or others really say, look, if we get, don't have the crash, then we're not the ones responsible. Sure, if somebody else crashes into us, uh, you know, uh, at least the way insurance is set up, uh, they have to pay. Uh, but uh, but my insurance is to protect me if I hit somebody. 
And if I'm not going to hit somebody, then uh, it's hard to argue uh, that the cost of the crashes is going to go up. Uh, and so, and, and in fact, uh, insureds might see it themselves uh, that, uh, that that costs don't go up. And they do have, uh, they both can increase their profits and uh, provide um, um, the discounts uh, and encourage the public uh, to buy the uh, vehicles that crash less and of course out of that are safer and and uh, achieve NTSB's objective but we we should say too that the 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 NTSB and SAR does advocate that the equipment I guess once it's proven at least should be standard Shouldn't be an, uh, should not yeah. be an option. <laughs> Absolutely, and I hey, I, let's make the stuff that works standard. The problem is, is uh, uh, I'm not going to live that long. So, I, well, <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, as as we all know, um, making everybody do something and and forcing it, uh, yes, uh, that's um, that accomplishes it. Uh, but maybe the marketplace can play a role too. And and I'm just arguing or seeing if if an argument exists that in fact it is it is in the insurance industry's interest to have people buy cars that don't crash because in fact even though their premiums their gross might go down their profits will go up now maybe that's such a nirvana that uh you know uh only exists in 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 camelots like princeton uh but um you know uh what else am I? again i'm i'm the irresponsible professor here <laughs> and, and so uh, what else can i say uh hopefully alan this will be sorted out well Oh, well, well before you depart this earth. <laughs> Thank you very much. I I do appreciate that sentiment. <laughs> Thank and, you. And sir, any any thoughts you'd like to share before we let you go about the future of transportation uh, and mobility? Just, maybe what you're looking forward to. Just to dovetail on, really, this is a path, and we are hopefully moving from mitigation to prevention more and more. Uh, which would address the uh, uh, comments that Ellen was making regarding the insurance claims and and perhaps uh, rates lowering. As we are moving more and more towards the automated vehicle systems, um, the collision avoidance systems will improve simply by the uh, virtue of having improved sensors that are capable of perceiving uh, environment uh, better, more accurately, and uh, further away. So we are uh, moving forward, but um, we really, as general public, have to uh, keep safety as our primary concern rather than only the convenience and maybe the coolness factor of having a vehicle drive by itself for as, as long as they can. Absolutely, and and I personally uh, applaud you and the NTSB uh, for your uh, uh, ten items and and uh, exactly what you said. I am uh, completely on board with that. Um, um, the opportunity of this technology. 
to to uh, improve safety is is really the the ultimate um, um, opportunity, and it's not uh, for us to take our hands off the wheel and feet off the off the brakes. I mean, it's really to make it so that in fact uh, we get to where we want to go safely and have everybody else do it too. So um, uh, I personally applaud you very much, and and thank you so very much for being on with us today. Well, thank you, Alan, for having us on. It was great having you, Dr. Ansar Bechik from the National Transportation Safety Board. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com on Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and more. Ask your smart speaker to play us. You can find my tech reports at textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening.